Hey everyone, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. And today, we're going to continue our series, The Church, by talking about worship. Oh come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise, for the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day that Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Well, hey guys, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church in beautiful Powell River, British Columbia. And what we just read at the opening there was Psalm 95. And it's a psalm that speaks of worship. It speaks of the community coming together and looking to God and lifting up his name and worshiping him. And that's exactly what we want to do today. We want to discover and kind of take a journey together on what is worship. We're in a series called The Church. And we're kind of exploring the different kind of parts that make up what the church does and the mission of the church and the purposes of the church. And one of the elements in, in corporate gathering, in the ecclesia, the assembly of the called out ones is these acts of worship. And so we're going to take a journey together. I want you to kind of maybe take a note, if you will. If you're taking notes, that's great. If you want to pull out your phone and just take something just to kind of remember this. But here's kind of a big idea. Here's a big thing and a main thing that we're going to kind of explore today. By our very nature, human beings are worshipers. All of us. By our very nature, human beings are worshipers. Now, I want to convince you that this is not only a true statement, but that it can kind of give us some insight into our behavior, into our pursuits, into how we live out life in this world. Now, this is a series about the church. Uh, in, in fact, the title of the sermon is Gathered in Worship. Um, but in order to understand worship in the church, we first need to understand the concept of worship itself. Uh, Lexham Bible Dictionary has like my all-time favorite definition of worship from a biblical worldview. And I want you to note that from a biblical worldview, this is a definition from Lexham Bible Dictionary. Worship is the odd response to the saving acts and praiseworthy character of God. I'm going to read that again. Worship is the odd response to the saving acts and praiseworthy nature and character of God. Now, let's be clear. That is the definition of those that are coming from it from a biblical worldview. 
There are other definitions that speak to worship as well. And, and, and in this way, dictionary.com, for instance, says reverent honor and homage paid to God or a sacred personage or to any object regarded as sacred. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary says to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. Worship is, it's more than just lip service. Uh, who or what we worship is not determined by what we say, but it's rather by who or what we serve with our lives. Remember, by our very nature, human beings are worshipers. Um, I don't know if you have considered the objects or persons of worship that we have today. You know, back in Old Testament times, we saw there were gods and there were created uh, statues and and. Um, asterisk poles and all these different things that kind of um, spoke to the gods that they worship. There's the objects that they would worship. We call them idols. But did you know that we have idols today? Um, currently, we live in a moment where we pursue with our lives the service of money, power, fame. In fact, the human being right now is the preeminent thing that we worship. We worship ourselves. We worship the the human condition, if you will. Uh, we, we serve um, our heart. We pursue the things of our heart. We look to ourselves. And that involves removing the tension of this concept and this idea of a creator, an intelligent designer. Uh, we worship fame, infamy, you know, and we'll take either or. Many people will take either or, fame or infamy, as long as their name is known. Because they want people to, in, in a way, worship them. Now, we can also make idols of good things. We can make idols of our families uh, if we put them in the wrong priority. It, we can make uh, idols of our spouse. We can make idols even of ministry, where ministry becomes, becomes the main thing that we spend our lives on as opposed to the one that we minister for. And so we are created to be worshipers, but we need to get this right. We need to put this in the right place. Now, we, we have talked about this kind of concept many times in the past, but I, I would be remiss if we kind of didn't start here when it comes to laying foundations for an understanding of worship. God, who is described in the scriptures, created all things, including humanity. So by the very nature of that dynamic, we have a built-in imperative to worship the Creator. Now, let, let me get this clear, and I want to clear up any misconception. We don't worship because God needs us to worship. That's not why we worship. God does not need our worship to be empowered or to be fulfilled. He is self-fulfilled, and He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He is all-powerful. He doesn't need anything external to Himself. However, he is our creator. So it's important to understand the creator, our God, is not some narcissist that requires worship to stroke his ego. The reality is this worldview that says God is creator of all things is one that gives us only one worthy outlet of our worship and our reverence. It, it, it comes down to this. If God is creator, we only have one worthy outlet for our worship. The created thing is never as powerful 
or as worthy as the one who created it. Paul, Paul touches on the absurdity of kind of the alternative outlets of worship when he writes to the Romans in, in 125, Romans 125. He says this, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. By nature, you are created to be a worshiper and the creator of all things, the designer, is the only logical outlet for that worship. But many have traded him for the worship of the created things, for the things that he created. And, and I hope in these short moments that, that I kind of partnered with the Holy Spirit of truth can convince you that God, the creator, is the one worthy of the worship of your life. So let's get back to that definition of worship from uh, the Lexham Bible Dictionary. From a biblical worldview, worship is the odd response to the saving acts and praiseworthy character of God. The odd response. The, the next question we should ask is, what do the scriptures say about that response? How do we respond to the creator? In John 4, 23 to 24, Jesus himself gives us kind of this proper response in his discussion with the Samaritan woman at the well. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So what does this mean? What does this mean? You know, Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2.1. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. Again, to the church in Colossae, he writes in Colossians 2, 13 to 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Now, when Paul is saying, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. What does he mean by that? Does he mean you are literally dead? Like in this body, you are dead? Of, of, of course not. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's speaking of the spiritual death that we as a humanity walked in. Back in the Eden, when God breathed life into Adam, he breathed that part of Adam that set him apart from the animals. That part that made him in the likeness of God, flesh, soul, and spirit. And in their disobedience to God, they entered into a kind of spiritual death. That, that part that connected them to the presence of God in relationship, that part died. And a reality, and this, this kind of reality of that spiritual death has plagued humanity from then till now. When Jesus says that we will worship in spirit and in truth, he's, he's first speaking of the work of salvation. He's speaking of this idea of coming alive and having that spiritual breath breathed back into us. And here's how that happens. That happens when we accept the work of Jesus into our lives. 
to repent of our sin, which basically is, is uh, the worship of the wrong things, the pursuits of the wrong things, and to ask him to give us spiritual life. And it's the rebirth of the spirit in us that restores that relationship with God. And it becomes the foundation of our ability to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's that renewed relationship back to original design. Mind, body, soul, spirit, worshiping the creator. Now, those who have experienced and walked a new life in Jesus, that, that kind of God-given spirit breathed back into us is life-giving. There's nothing like that experience and that ongoing pursuit of the things of God. And so we worship in spirit. But, but notice that Jesus also qualifies. It's not just we worship in spirit, it's we worship in spirit and in truth. And it's the truth part that engages our everyday expression of worship. In a lot of ways, um, the ways of worship have been prescribed to us by the one who created us. In other words, he has given us a roadmap, a way in which to live life in alignment with his way, and that's our act of obedience and service, and those are our acts foundationally of worship. So what does it look like to worship in truth? You know, marriage uh, serves many functions. And one such function is to model and illustrate the dynamic of Christ and his bride, the church. Now, I don't know if you've heard of the love languages, um, but in, in my marriage, Lisa, her love language is words of affirmation. And mine, I always feel super guilty and bad about it, but mine tends to be gifts and acts of service. Gifts and acts of service. So, so here's what happens in, a, in our marriage oftentimes. I give Lisa gifts and I do acts of service in hopes that she will hear my love letter to her, so to speak. Lisa, on the other hand, is more naturally inclined to give me words of affirmation, which in a lot of ways I could like leave or keep. Like it doesn't really matter to me. It doesn't impact me the same way it impacts her. And part of marriage is learning the way love is communicated, not from your own heart, but from their heart. And then you need to learn a new language. I need to learn how to speak words of affirmation, even though I don't feel like they're very powerful. For Lisa, they are extremely powerful. And Lisa, on the other hand, where she would give me words of affirmation, then I could take it or leave it. Acts of service and giving of gifts becomes the language that I respond to. And over time, we learn to change the way that we express our love to one another. This is the case when it comes to God. God is holy, righteous, perfect. And so he gave us these scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us an insight in his character, who he is, and who he created us to be so that we can learn a new language. When that breath of life is breathed into us, we can learn a new language of how to respond to our creator. Paul writes a simple message to the Romans that is 
Well, it's anything but simple in its meaning for us. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, why does Paul write so specifically of the body, of this flesh and blood? He uses strong language. He says, I appeal, I urge, I plead with you. I exhort you, present your bodies as living sacrifices. It's because the natural inclination of this flesh, this body we inhabit is not to love and worship God. This body becomes self-absorbed with self. This body would prefer to prop up ourselves as the um, object of worship. And the journey that we talk about, looking more and more like Jesus each day, is one of dying to our will, to our worldview, to our paradigm, to our, um, our selfishness, and dying to that and picking up what God has for us and for our lives. To worship God, we must learn the language of love that God desires. And it's a language that was lost to us all the way back at the fall of man. And so in Jesus, new life of the Spirit is breathed into us. However, then we start the journey of working out our salvation in fear and trembling, meaning that we enter into a battleground of the mind and the will. The Spirit of life and truth is in us versus the old man, this flesh. And to wield the sword of truth on that battleground is worship. Foundationally, it is Worship, it is our worship to overcome the natural inclinations of our flesh for the ways of Christ, to pick up the ways of Christ, to die to ourselves and to live for him. In a word, if I could, if I could sum up worship in a simple word, it would be this, obedience. Worship is obedience to our creator. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now here, just focus in on, on verse 5 and beyond. We, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience, when your, when your obedience is complete. Notice Paul refers to the battleground of the mind. The thoughts of the mind have to be filtered through the truth. The, the mind is influenced by three sources. The word of truth, as revealed by the Spirit of God. The word of your own heart. And please keep in mind, Jeremiah says, the human heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? So we've got to be careful there. We have some discernment. And then finally, the word of the enemy of your soul. There is an enemy. There's a real enemy that wants to destroy you and separate you from that relationship with God. To worship in truth 
is to discern not just the source, but the validity of the inclinations of our mind in light of God's word. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're, you're thinking, when is this guy going to talk about church and singing in church and the things that we kind of think of when we think of worship? This, this series is about the church, isn't it? Well, here's the deal. There's a reason that we have to set these priorities and these foundations for worship in place before we kind of get to the secondary things. We really need to dig into this because the others are empty without these foundations laid. So where does that expression of worship come into play in the corporate church setting? James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If our primary acts of worship are to come into alignment with the ways of Jesus, then Paul seems to think that we need to do this in the context of community. We need to do this in the context of the ecclesia, the assembly of the called out ones. Because the Christian faith is hard. Worshiping God in this way, dying to ourselves, picking up our cross daily is hard. And it's, it's almost impossible when you do it alone. And so we need community. So before we get to the singing, we need to get to the heart. We need to get to the heart. Now, many of you may um, read this passage and, and you think to yourself, I need to tell everyone my sin. And that's not the case. We need to be wise in how we walk this out. Um, not everyone needs to know your stuff, but someone does. But you need to invite someone into the dark places of your soul, the broken places of your soul. You may read this and think, I need to confess very specific things. And though that's true, there are moments where we walk in sin, where we need to confess and bring some people into our story in very specific acts of sin, very specific things that we've done. But I think it's more than that. And I think we lose the understanding and the power of this when we just think in terms of specific scenarios and circumstances and moments of sin, as opposed to considering this flesh of ours. Now we know that we all, we all sin and we are all sinners and we all deal with sin in, in slightly different ways. And so part of the power of community around confession is simply coming alongside a brother or brothers with brothers, sisters with sisters and going, hey, here are some of the areas of my life where I have a proclivity towards these kinds of sins. These kinds of thought processes, these kinds of lies, these kinds of temptations. And in doing so, we invite others to know us, but then also to walk in this idea of holding one another accountable in those areas of our lives. There's something powerful about worship in this way in the corporate setting. Now, part of the power of the gathered church is we have opportunity to grow in relationship and trust with those who can intentionally invite, that we can invite into our story so we don't have to fight the battle alone. So we invite those that can help us discern between the words of God and the words of the heart and the words of the enemy. And this is why engaging and responding to the preaching of God's word in a corporate community setting is an act of worship. 
That's why when we talk about we're all active participants in the preaching of God's word, that's a participation in the truth part of worship. You know, when I left Winnipeg, um, I, a year previous to leaving to go to Bible college, I had recommitted my life to the Lord. And in that season and that time, I had led a lot of things into my life that really had some deep roots, some sin and brokenness and places in my heart and my soul that um, I just had real trouble overcoming. And it was interesting because I went to Bible college, I went to Dallas and I was in a men's dormitory and I was surrounded by not everyone, but quite a few of these guys. They were really passionate about growing in Jesus, walking in their journey of discipleship, walking out of and away from some of the broken places of their soul. And so we got together and we would confess with one another. We would have these conversations about the things we struggle with and the things that capture our imagination, the things that were temptation for us. And in that, man, I was able to, with the power of the Spirit and with the power of community, align my heart and my life in a way that looked much more like Jesus than it had before. There was something powerful about that season of life because we, I had this handful of people that I could be accountable to, that I could lean on. When I was weak and tempted, I could call up or go to their room and, and just invite them into that moment so they could give me strength. But it took community and confession. And this is part of our worship. This is part of our worship. Some of you have been battling alone for far too long. For far too long. The power of the community of faith is you don't have to be alone. But here's the deal. The power of being alone and isolated is sin can remain. Sin has a, sin has a strength and a power when it's isolated and kept in the dark. But as soon as you bring it to light, as soon as you invite another human being who knows Jesus and, and you, you seek to just be vulnerable and raw and, and real about your struggle. With wisdom, we pick those people and select those people. But there's something powerful about that. And it gives us an op opportunity to overcome. We celebrate together when we witness the Spirit breathing new life into the one who accepts Jesus. But we also celebrate together when we walk out this journey of faith, coming into alignment with the ways of God and dying to ourselves. And this is the true power of ecclesia, the church. Okay, so now let's diverge. Let's diverge from those foundations. Let's finish with a moment of addressing this element that kind of seems so key to the gathered church. The singing of songs together, right? Now here's the deal. All that other stuff takes priority over this. All that other stuff. This, the singing of songs, if your heart is broken and not mending and you're walking in rebellion and you have unrepented sin, and you, um, like all these pieces, those pieces are so much more important than the singing. However, sometimes these moments of singing can take truth and it can cause us to maybe re-look um, at our lives and do something. So there's something powerful about this. I don't want to, I, I just want to say, some of this is like the main thing, and then this is kind of some um, pieces that aren't necessarily secondary, but they are expressions that come out of the main thing. They come out of the heart, come out of the soul, um, come out of the spirit. Well, in the middle of your Bible, you have a whole entire book called the book of Psalms. Uh, some might call it the book of songs. 
And the Old Testament and the New Testament are rich with the music and songs that lift up the name of God. There's something kind of powerful and accessible when it comes to music. In fact, in church history, many, many songs and hymns of the church were written in a time when the general population was illiterate. And so they learned their theology. They learned their understanding of the character and the names of God and all the pieces. They learned it through song and memorizing the lyrics of songs. Now, it's important to note that music and song is not the only expressions of worship. You know, the expressions of worship are basically infinite to the imagination of the believer. Uh, first of all, if you believe that, you know, whatever you do, do it as under the Lord, as your act of worship, then anything is worship. You going to work is worship. But I mean, there's others like painting and art and photography and dance. And, you know, in my case, washing my car is unto the Lord. Um, being out in nature, letting creation declare the greatness of God. However, music is accessible to many. And so we choose in a corporate gathering of church to use music to be that accessible expression of worship to God. And it has this ability to take truth from the realms of the mind and allows it to touch our emotions as well. And so what does scripture say? We, we open today by reading Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Uh, did you know that Jesus actually sang with his disciples? Uh, Matthew 26, 30 says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, I want you to know, like anytime you see hymn referenced in particularly the New Testament, they're not talking about the hymns like we would think of hymns. Uh, they're probably most likely uh, singing a psalm, one of the psalms together. Paul writes to the Ephesians, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so we sing of the goodness and the greatness and the worthiness of God as creator, our sustainer, and our king. And, and we do so in a submission to one another, in a, in a kind of unity that seeks to see God glorified in our songs, but more importantly, glorified in our submitted lives to his will and his way. By our very nature, human beings are worshipers. The question is, who or what are you worshiping? Not who do you say you're worshiping, who or what are you worshiping with the service of this body, this soul, and this mind? When we discover the one worthy of our worship, it changes everything. It brings us together as the ecclesia, the church, to lift up the name of Jesus and to submit ourselves to that name. And this is what it is to worship in spirit and in truth. And so, Lord, as we just take this journey of worship, discovering worship corporately as community, Lord, I pray that you would indeed create safe places in relationship with one another where we can walk out your will and your way in this world. And so, Lord, we pray as we seek to be those that worship in spirit and in truth. We thank you for Jesus that allows us that access to the Father, the Creator, as we submit our lives to him as Savior. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing us to life and breathing that life back into our lungs of that spiritual life. But Lord, would you also take us on that journey of submitting this flesh and this mind and this will to your ways. And Lord, may that be our act of worship to you. Lord, we know that that is hard. We know, Lord God, that you give us grace and strength to walk that out. But part of the grace and strength you've gifted us is the church. And so as we confess, and as we walk that out together, Lord, would you strengthen us? Would you heal us? Would you make us look more and more like your son, Jesus, every day? We pray these things in Jesus' name as our act of worship to you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. Have a great week, and I just pray that the Holy Spirit would be with you to lead and guide you in how you can worship this week, bringing your life into alignment with His way, His will. God bless.